Oh, we're live. Sweet. Yo, what's Ooh. happening, people? <laughs> we're back. We're back. We are back. Fat lady has not sung yet. You saw not Independence yet. Day, right? Oh, yeah. Will Smith. He's got like his cigars ready. You got it. obsession with the fat lady. <laughs> I'll take cigars. No fat. Hold the fat lady. Hold the fat lady. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> Anyways, Tim, what's uh, what's cracking, man? Nothing, man. Uh, it's a yeah. It's a good day. It's Thursday. It's sixty out here. So like an asshole, I opened the, all the windows and stuff, and then it was pretty cold inside because there's still snow outside so went through that yeah you probably remember that from growing up in maine right where it's like the first 60 degree day and everyone's like hell yeah and you're like eh, it's still pretty cold it's still gonna be 39 degrees tonight so yeah still no golf unfortunately so that's but hey Aww. it's all good it's, it's all okay good. it's all right i'll play tomorrow and saturday and monday it's gonna be 75 I'm going to watch golf. So then it'll be, it'll be like mental reps, you know, it'll be that. You know, it's funny. I used to do the same thing and I still could not shoot the ball. like (laughs) Steph Curry. Well, I'm going to keep trying. You do you. Neither, neither here nor there. All right. So let's, uh, we're, so this is actually an important conversation today. We're going to talk about tendinopathies, uh, in golf, which is something. So most people think of it as like tendinitis. Like my elbow, I have golfer's elbow, I have tennis elbow, et cetera. Uh, so we're going to talk about all about tendinopathies, what that means, what tendons are, what you need to know about them, how to how to handle them. And the answer is not probably what you think it is or what you've been told by uh, every healthcare practitioner that's you've probably encountered unless they were actually up to date on what the science of tendinopathies are. But first things first, let's uh, quickly hash out this Saudi league live golf PGA tour mess. Cause today Mickelson came out and that's thrown another monkey wrench in this whole thing. So where are you at right now with this whole thing? I don't know, man. It's pretty muddy water all, all around. Cause it sounds like, uh, I forget the journalist who tweeted it out this morning, but like he said that apparently they've been waiting to have 20 committed players, uh, before they make any any sort of announcement about like contracts or whatever. But then you've got uh, some interesting stuff from like Phil, right? Where he said, I don't, he's been like publicly critical of the PGA tour. Um, and, and he seemed to want to be paid more. So like, seems like if they're going to be paying in the hundreds of millions, he's probably going to be one of the people that would, that would go. Right. Um, You've got Lee Westwood who said, like, I, I signed an NDA. I can't really comment. So that's like, hmm. So is he, um, what does he know? Right. What is he involved with? Who, who knows? And then you've got some other guys like DJ who was just like, yeah, it's a good concept. Makes it more interesting. And he's but played not, a bunch. But I'm not interested, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But he, and then he's played, you know, the last, since 2019. So the last three years he's played or four years, he's played in Saudi Arabia in tournaments. So who knows there, that's a lot of speculation. And then you have the Bryson stuff where people are going back and forth, (laughs) right? You got Jim McLean. I don't know what Jim, do you think Jim McLean just woke up and chose violence? Yes. hundred percent. I'm pretty sure he was the first. I'm pretty sure he was the first one to put it out there. Just like, just let, he just, he wants to, he, he just, he like lit the match and he's like, yeah. watch it burn. Watch he just it walked burn. away. It was like, walked he away. Was probably, Silent he was probably, yeah, he was probably coaching all day. He was on the driving range, just like, you know, had a bunch of, a bunch of pros or college kids coming through juniors and it was just like teaching all day. And the, meanwhile, the internet was crumbling. Yeah. Crazy. But I don't, I don't know what, I don't know, man. yeah, there's no, there's no real clarity. It's like you, you have a lot of guys like they're linking Cantlay because he said, if they're paying as much money as it sounds like, uh, like that, you would have to think about it. It's like, well, yeah. If someone came up to you right now and was like, Hey dude, if you play in like five tournaments, I'll give you $20 million. Okay. I think you got to yeah. think about that, right? You do. I, I think the biggest thing is that it's a complete unknown. Like, is that guaranteed yeah. money? 
Like if I play all five and you guys crumble, do I still make my money? Exactly. That's a great I, question. Like for me, like to me, I don't, obviously those are questions beyond my scope and not something I'm going to like dig super deep into, but like, how are they made? What they offer apparently offered to Shambo? Like it was 135, 140, 135 mil. Yeah. Yeah. That was the reported. Okay. So again, I don't really know what that means to me as much as I almost like the competition that it would create to have two leagues. I don't know what that actually does unless a lot of big names go like right now you just have DeChambeau who is like the young, I'm going to call him young. Otherwise, like what else does it become? Somebody called it like a glorified senior tour. Right. Right. Which is a, a, it is affiliate. The senior tour though is affiliated with the PGA tour, right? It is. My point being is that it's not exactly a bunch of household names that are going over there. Cause you know, the Rory's of the world have said, eh, Spieth, JT, Morikawa. Um, They've all kind of been like, no, we're not really into it. I don't think DJ's going anywhere. The other thing is, is that, as I understand, they don't get to pick their tournaments. Interesting. Whereas now you can play, you can play a tournament or not play a tournament. It's up to you. Right. You just, you just have your minimum number you have to hit. Right, right, right. So I don't really know how that would all work. Um, And the other thing is the excommunication from the PGA Tour. Like, you go somewhere else, you're no longer on the PGA Tour. Which, uh, you know, I don't... I'm trying to think of other sports where that's the case. Like, I don't... Like, basketball doesn't have a big... Like, the NBA doesn't have a rival. The NFL doesn't have a rival. Like, they are the preeminent sport. Yeah, you see it a little. You see it a little bit in like uh, UFC, where like if you're under contract for the UFC, you can't fight in Bellator fights unless you have like unless they're doing a joint event or something like that. So you, I guess my point get... is that the UFC is so much bigger. Like there's always yeah. the big guy, and then there's like obviously the, the NFL guys. has like little guys that they deal with, but they're not actually competing with them. This right. sounds like it's trying to like super compete. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know if like does that turn into like a couple like weird leagues that people watch or? It's a good question, and it's to compete with the PGA Tour is going to be tough, right? Because they have like I don't know how many tournaments exactly they have, but they have in the it's in the forties, right? It's like forty something tournaments. So if you're only going to have a handful during the year, that I mean, what are people going to watch you once a month? You think they're it's um, going to be tough to tune into unless it's like a big you know big name event or you know big. I don't know, something that draws you in, you know? So the the guys over at Golf Digest were saying, and I quote, should a high number of 35 and younger players with playing pedigrees and popularity side with the Saudi-backed league, professional golf could transform into professional boxing, a sport whose competition has been watered down by rivaling governing bodies with conflicting financial interests. The sport's relevance and to an extent existence would be at stake. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch, but... It's true in the sense that you are watering down the competition. Like you're not, Yeah. this is, this is different than like having multiple businesses that are competing against one another and thus have to be better because yeah. you only have a small percentage of people who are this good at golf. Right. And this is their livelihood, right? So you can't, you have to, you, you said it before, but the, uh, the certainty of like how long this is going to last and all that is, is, a definite thing to think about like Colin Morikawa, his comments were pretty interesting. I was watching him yesterday. He said like he asked some questions or wanted to talk to people and he just kept getting passed to different people. Like he heard from a source, like this is going on. He wanted to talk to them about it and just ask a couple questions. Right. But he, he just kept getting passed around. So that's like, that's like if you went to a job interview and you were like, what's my job going to be? And they were like, well, uh, talk to like Canon human resources. Well, I'll talk to this guy. And you know, in that office, it's like that doesn't make you feel too good about about the operation. Yeah, and so this is a fun hypothetical in my mind. What if all of this was just some giant ploy by the P or by like other groups to just make the PGA Tour better, <laughs> right? Like to make them make corrections. Phil said that today. It was something yeah. along the lines of like, if this is going to make the PGA, you know, make some updates, so be it. Oh, what did he say? Yeah, no, that's exactly what he said. It, it's going to make them adapt. Um, make them and it, adapt. The interesting, 
uh, when McLean posted on Instagram, he said in that uh, what what whoever he talked to or whatever he heard was that you potentially you could still play the majors, so you could still play uh, right. You know the PGA, the British Open, and the um, U.S. Open and Masters. And even if like the PGA or the USGA, you know, says no, if you're in that league, you can't play here. You can still play the Masters probably because that's a private club, it's a private entity. Like that's that's its own thing. Right. So. So he okay. So I'm I'm catching up on Mickelson's thing here. The headline says Mickelson hired attorneys to help construct Saudi golf league calls PGA tour dictatorship. Hmm. That's a little strong, but all right. That's yeah. I know. I know he, he hasn't said this, but I, I forget who a couple of players have been comparing it to like the NBA collective bargaining agreement and like play, you know, the, the deal with the owners and the players association where they have pretty, I don't know if they have exactly a 50, 50 split or it's close. And the PGA Tour is more like a ten, like the players get ten percent of the revenue the you know the the tour generates, right? But it it's a totally different. It's a totally different. Model. It, you're comparing apples to oranges in in my mind. Yeah. So Mickelson's basically saying that the PGA is just taking money and assets away from the players. Right. That's his big thing. He's like, they're just greedy. They're dictators. They're you know, they they owe us more. Uh, which. Uh... I, I don't know. <laughs> I saw I saw somewhere just in, just increase like the the um the purses on some of these events like the some like two or three of the majors have smaller purses than regular tournaments. A, like a couple of regular tournaments. Yeah, for sure. So like make make the majors bigger. Yeah. And, you know, if you really want it, I mean the FedEx Cup gives out 15 million dollars. Like you can do something like that. That wouldn't be, and give them, you know, if they want a percentage, give them a little bit more of a percentage. So somebody in here, which is interesting, said Shipnuck, which is this, um, had an interview, or he did the interview with Mickelson. Um, And I guess he's got an unauthorized biography of Mickelson coming out in May, which is interesting. Yeah. He said that Mickelson's partnership could be bred out of personal financial issues due to gambling losses with a source telling Shipnuck that Mickelson's sale of his private jet raised the eyebrows. Hmm. There's a different take. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. Uh, No. We'll see. That's quite, quite a bold take. That's that's a bold take, but so is calling the PGA tour a dictatorship. Uh, True. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because it's right at know. this point, it's just seems like, you know, midday like uh, soap opera drama. Like it's just, you know, yeah, it doesn't, crazy. I don't know. Uh, anyways. Yeah. We'll TBD. Happens. We'll see what happens over the next week. And then uh, maybe, we'll maybe we'll have an update next week. Maybe not. Probably I'm going not. with not. Or it's just like a dud and it just gets pushed off. Like, eh, maybe later. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But on a more important note for the people that are listening to this podcast who don't give two craps about some Saudi league. Fast forward. <laughs> fast, fast forward to something a little more important, AKA tendinopathies. Yeah. So, Let's um, let's dive into this. So a lot of people, especially in golf, deal with uh, actually, funny enough, with tennis elbow more than golfer's elbow. So yeah. those are those are different things. But in golf, those are the things you see the most. You might see a little bit of like patellar tendinopathy, maybe a little Achilles tendinopathy, but mm-hmm. pretty rarely, right? Because of the way the arms work in the sport, you know, the elbow just takes the brunt of it, and that tends to be it. So first things first, let's. Uh, let's just talk about what tendons are and let's kind of have a little conversation about what that looks like and go from there. So tendons are just a form of connective tissue that we have all throughout our bodies that attach muscles and bones, right? Versus ligaments, which attach bones to bones, right? So the ACL in your knee goes from bone to bone. The Achilles tendon goes from your calf to your heel. Right. So tendons go from muscles to bones. 
first thing you need to understand. And it's made of connective tissue, right? So they are, they have a ton of collagen proteins and they are very, very good at transmitting force, absorbing and transmitting force, right? Because they're dealing with muscles pulling on them and they have to stay anchored, right? That's really all you need to know about tendons. Anything else you feel like needs to be added to that? No, they're strong as hell. Like they're, um, I, th I think people like with, especially with the internet right now, where you see videos online of people like popping their Achilles tendon or like, you know, benching and popping and pulling their pec or something like that. Right. It can be kind of scary, but tendons are so friggin' strong. Like those are stupid strong. Those are like one, you know, the one in a thousand, one in more than that, uh, occurrences. So they're super strong. I remember cadaver lab, like trying to cut, cut through some of them, like the Achilles or, or pec tendon. It was like, you know, you can dull a scalpel blade before you get through it. Yeah. It's, it'll definitely take some time. So just understand that tendons also are avascular. Yeah. Or ve right? so like very little, or very, very little just, blood. Yeah. Like them. just the part that, that attaches the muscle has a little bit other than that. It's got nothing. Right. So that makes them more difficult to heal. Yeah. Obviously, unlike a bone or unlike a muscle, if you strain it or if you break it, there's lots of blood flow. So there's lots of nutrients and all the stuff needed to help that stuff there. Tendons, on the other hand, don't really have that. So that's part one. Part two to understand is that they adapt. So although they may not have blood flow, they are very adaptive structures and they will adapt to the mechanical stresses applied to them. Right. So those are two important things to remember. So remember, tendons go from muscle to bone. They adapt to stress and they don't really have a lot of blood flow. So making or healing is a little more complicated there, right? So now let's talk a little bit about tendinopathy, which historically is called tendinitis, right? So why? Perfectly timed, Perfectly know, timed right? dog sigh in the background. <laughs> Just looking at me like, let me out. So, oh, tendinopathy. Oh, oh. Do, do, do. <laughs> Sounds part for the course. So tendonitis is what most people think of it as because we would think of it as itis just means inflammation yeah. of a tendon. However, contrary to popular belief, do we have inflammation in tendons? No, not typically. Ah. Unless so you have not... some unless you have some sort of like very acute as in like just happened a couple hours ago injury or something like that going on. Right. We don't tend to see inflammation in tendons as yeah. a whole, right? Because yeah, again, they don't have any blood. Yeah. There's no blood. Yeah. So, you know, all of our good data essentially shows that that's not really a, a big thing. So that's one of the reasons why we do not call them tendonitis anymore. The name has flipped to tendinopathy, right? Or basically like a pathology of the tendon, right? It basically just means that there is a um, changes in the tendon that are affecting structure it could be pain it could be you know microscopic damage it's all tendinopathy is is it could be pain reduced tolerance to loading right anybody who's ever had tennis elbow before right which is just that outside part of your elbow hurting it's really it yeah or like uh think about plantar fasciitis right because that's basically a tendinopathy a lot of people deal with that, but think of, think about how that usually behaves. Like in, in my experience, I've had it a, a couple of times here and there, usually it kind of comes and goes, yep. right? So like maybe one week, it's really bugging you. You really, you, you really don't do much different and you go out and you can play fine for like maybe two weeks and then it comes back. If there was something, you know, really seriously wrong there that wouldn't be the case, right? It would just either stay the same or progressive, pro most likely progressively get worse. Right, right, right. So yeah. when it comes to tendinopathies, how do they happen? Like, why do I get a tendinopathy? Like, why, why does the inside part of my elbow hurt? And like, if you touch the bone, I'm like, oh my God, shoot me. Like, what, what do they result okay. from? Well, you mentioned, so they, they don't have great blood flow, right? And they respond, they do respond to the stress you put them under, but at the same time, that stress is always a balance, right? So with any, with any tissue in your body, your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, 
it's kind of, it's a, that balance between stress and rest, right? You want to, in order to make sure that tissue is strong, you need a certain amount of stress, but then you also need to rest it and let it do the magic stuff behind the scenes, you know, to get stronger and, and uh, more equipped for whatever, whatever your sport is in, in this case, golf. Adaptation. You know? So, I mean, just it. let's equate this to any other part of the body. You know, the body needs a certain amount of stress that causes an adaptation and you have to have enough recovery to make that happen. So if I do something or if I overload any tissue in my body beyond its physical ability, something is going to happen. If it's a muscle, it can strain. If it's a bone, it could break. If it's a tendon, it could have, you know, some kind of, you know, sprain to it, right? Some kind of like low grade, you know, micro tearing or whatever you want to call it right? Some kind mm -hmm. of tendinopathy, right? So typically though, with tendons, we see this with kind of long-term loading, right? So we see this often in tennis players. We see it in golfers. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see it in re repetitive sports where you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, right? And there may have to be some change that you're not seeing. So you tend to see it with people that like all of a sudden they decided they want to hit the ball harder. Yeah. And so they go to the range and they take 40 hardest shit swings trying to swing out of their shoes. And the next day they're like, Oh man, my freaking elbow is killing me. It's like lit yeah. up and like the, the bone hurts. And that tends to be when you see it as opposed to you just doing what you're normally doing. I've also, I also tend to see it when people are overdoing it. Like, Hey, this is my fifth day of playing 18 in a row, which I right. I never play more than two when I've played five. Yeah, no, there's two. That's too much. And up here, you're going to see it April 1st. I guarantee it. Cause that's when scores open. If there's no snow on the ground, there are going to be a lot of people who haven't done anything all winter, right? They yep. didn't go to the range at all. They didn't go to the gym. They didn't, they didn't hit a golf ball or think about it. And then they're going to show up and try to play, you know, Saturday and Sunday that first weekend. And you're going to, you're, you're going to feel it for sure. The next couple of days. Right. Right. But that's so that's where uh, I, I had a friend last year who was like, he went out and played 36 on on a Saturday in like the end of March because it was warm here and stuff was open. It's like, dude, my cat, my Achilles is absolutely killing me. Like, it, it's terrible. I've never had this before. I was like, well, what'd you like? What'd you do? He was like, I played whatever. All right. What have you been doing? He's like, dude, literally nothing. It, it, he's an accountant. So he's like, it's busy season. The fact that I could get out was amazing. I've just been sitting at a desk. It's like, dude, that's it. Are your calves really sore? He's like, yeah, my calf, like my calf muscles are sore as shit. It's like, all right, do a little, you know, do a little foam rolling, be gentle with them, move them around. I bet it'll go away in a couple of weeks. And I, he never mentioned it again the rest of the summer. But it was just that, it was just that one day, huge spike, haven't done anything. And then after that, he was like, oh shit, I probably shouldn't do that. And he more gradually increased his swings and that sort of thing. Which is really the name of the game for all injuries. It's most of the time people do something they haven't been doing. And I just had a guy that I was talking to today. He's like, I've got, you know, right-sided shoulder pain. I think it's like my rotator cuff because anytime someone has shoulder pain, it's automatically a rotator cuff issue, naturally, which yeah. we'll do another podcast even though, on. Even though there are, I'll say thousands of, in some way or I'll another. say thousands of structures at the front of your shoulder that it could be, but that's all right. We'll talk yeah, about that don't worry about it. it. It is what it is, right? Or it could be no structures for that matter, which is even more fun. Could be. Could be. So he's saying, like, my shoulder's killing me. And I was like, okay, well, give me a little bit of history. Like, what have you been doing? He's like, you know, I had a ten I had tendonitis, or he called it, in my elbow. And so I took six months off of tennis and doing anything. So, I was like, okay. It's a long time. And he's like, and I just I just went back to playing tennis again because my elbow was feeling better. But man, my shoulder's really killing me. And I was like, well wait a second, you just went from no tennis, zero athletic stuff, and not going to the gym, mind you, just running for six months. And then you went back and played three matches in a week. And you think there's something wrong with your shoulder. What's wrong is you just went from zero to hero. Yeah. And your shoulder's not exactly ready to handle that amount of stress that quickly. It's not complicated. No, exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, that rest is going to help the pain go away, right? Because you're just, 
you've got a, you know, an overworked kind of irritated tendon, right. That's painful right now. You stop doing anything and you stop yanking on it and, you know, using it and overloading it. Obviously it's going to feel better. Right. Yeah. But then your recovery, your rest is way higher than, than the stress you're putting it under. And like you said, you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to backtrack significantly. That tendon will probably get a little bit weaker. I don't love saying stuff like that, but it, you know, it's not going to be as, yeah, it's not going to be as resilient. It's not going to be as stiff and like, you're not going to be able to use, think of, think of a rubber band, right? Like if you, if you use the hell out of a rubber band and it's loose and floppy, it's not really a great, great analogy, but, um, if you do nothing with that rubber band, it's still just going to be like loose and flop. It's going to be the same rubber band. Yeah. Right? You didn't, you versus, didn't add any structure to doing, the rubber band. Yeah. Versus doing something to it. Maybe you can recycle it and clean it up, which is, you know, exercise right. gradually increasing your stuff to tighten it back up and get it to get it to what it was. Think of it like this. You're by just which we're going to talk about rest here in a second. By just resting, you're not increasing the tendons capability of loading. Mm-hmm. It's not getting any stronger, right? We just talked about how tendons respond to mechanical stress. If you stop mechanically stressing the tendon, nothing changes, right? So nothing changes if nothing changes. So whatever load it could handle before, it's not any better now or it's worse now, right? Right. So let's talk about some key points about handling tendinopathies in a rehab process. Like, okay, I have this. What the hell do I do about it, right? You know what tendons are. You know how this occurs. What do we do about it? We just talked about rest. Resting is not a recommendation. We do not tell people to rest. In fact, just like we just said, that's it can be harmful because you're not actually loading the tendon. So you're not actually improving its ability to handle load. You're just dealing with what you already have pain-wise, right? So resting is really not going to help because your tendons aren't going to adapt. And if the tendon's not adapting, it's not helping you do your activity. But people will say, oh, well, I took six months off and it went away. Congratulations. It always tends to come back or it can come back. Frequent, I mean, it's always frequent flyers when it comes to tendinopathies. Oh, it came back again. Well, you took four months off. Right, right. And to be clear, when when we're saying rest here, we're not talking like you work out five days a week and take two rest days. We're talking like... You're not doing, you're not working out at all, or you're not doing anything. You're not playing golf. You're not hitting the range. You're not doing anything right. at all for, you know, an extended period of time, a few weeks, a few months. So you definitely, you definitely need the rest days in between, but that that's in between work days, hard work days. Yes. Yes. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. So that's part one is understanding mm-hmm. that rest is not something we recommend doing. You need to actually mm-hmm. load it. Part two, it is going to be painful throughout the rehab process. It's going yeah. to probably hurt. Like there's yeah, definitely there not going to be pain-free. It is not going to be pain-free. Yeah. Most things in rehab aren't, and really most things in rehab shouldn't be, right? We're trying to fine-tune your brain so that it's understanding what is safe and what isn't safe. Pain is involved in that because it's our body's way of telling us that something is or isn't safe of sorts. So understand that we don't want to think of things as being pain-free. Tim and I have talked on here about, you know, our ceilings for people like, Hey, if it's like a four out of 10 pain, that's as high as I want it to be. It's still pain to you, but it's a manageable pain or it's a tolerable pain. Like what is a tolerable pain level for you? And let's continue to load that tendon through that. Exactly. Don't be a ma- We're not being masochists here, right? We're not just seeking no. the pain and like, no all right, I got to I got to make sure when I do this, I feel it. It's like, no, it's acceptable to feel it. And it's probably going to be uncomfortable at times, but we're not, we're not just drilling ourselves into the ground either. Again, it's, and realize it's that's going to ebb and flow. Like there are going to be totally. some days where the, where it hurts more than others. And some days like we were seeking when we have, I mean, don't get me wrong. Tim and I have both had tendinopathies of our elbows and the other, yep. you know, various locations in our bodies. They yep. suck. Like you like touch your elbow, like you go to open a door and you're like, oh my God, that is so painful, right? They suck and we want pain relief. But we're, you know, you have to understand that there's a certain level of pain to experience. So I'll give myself as an example. A year ago right now, I was dealing with some medial tendinopathy, 
right of my elbow, right inside of that elbow, elbow right inside of the elbow, right? Pull-ups, killer, rowing, any grasping killed me. Mm-hmm. But as any approach I would tell clients of mine to take, I slowly went, you know, and kind of hit things at a pace that was good. So I could row as long as it was 50% of my normal weight. I could overhead press. I could do uh, lap pull downs. Those didn't bother me as much as pull-ups did, right? A little less load. I could chip. I could putt. I could like 50% my nine irons, eight irons without without it feeling like it was debilitating me. It was tolerable for me to go through those things and I could still work on it. I did that for like two months. And for the most part, it went away. But I didn't lose two months because I just rested it. Right. I still made progress in other things. So that's important to know. And there were some days where it hurt more than others, but I continued along the process of, is it like a four out of 10 pain when I do an activity roughly, right? And am I noticing that I'm able to grip a little harder, do a little bit more across time? Yeah, that's the key. That's the key. I've been lucky. I haven't had anything recently. Very, very lucky. Mr. Run 50,000 miles. Yeah, that when I was doing that, at one point I had uh, hamstring tendinopathy for like over a year. That might be that might be worse than elbow because anytime I sat, I couldn't lean forward. Like if I sat oh. down and leaned forward, it was just like a stabbing pain right in the middle of my ass cheek. That was awful. But I could still run. It was just like certain those. If I hit it the right way, it was just terrible. Ischial tube just taking a pounding. Ah, uh, just taking a pounding. Not fun. <laughs> That's a great name. Ischial tuberosity. Tuberosity. Tuber. (laughs) So the other thing that we always get asked about is how long is this going to take? Yeah, that was going to be my last point too. Yeah. It takes months. Yeah, it takes a long time, man. It it can take months, which is one of the reasons why we do not recommend resting. If it's going to take a couple of months for you to get rid of this anyways, why are we doing nothing? Because nothing is going to make it go for longer amounts of months when it comes back again. Yeah. Doing something is going to limit the amount of months you've got to deal with this stupid thing. And it is annoying. It is super annoying. I can't stand it. I avidly try to avoid it now. Like if I have workouts pop up that I'm like, mm, I haven't done that many kettlebell swings in a really long time. Yeah. I'm breaking that workout up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the or way you have to like do it. That. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, no, I'm going to go way. run five miles and I haven't run a hundred yards in two months. I don't think yeah. so. Probably not a great idea. Probably not a great idea. Never mind no, for tendons, that's... but for any other structure. Exactly. Exactly. And you're just going to feel like trash. I mean, you might have like a little endorphin I after, but you're going to feel like trash. And that's, I think we mentioned blood, tendons don't have blood flow, right? So it's going to take yeah. a long time because they're not, if, if it was like a muscle that's getting, you know, blood pumped through it all day, every day, bringing good stuff to heal, heal up and bring the bad stuff out. Like your timeline is much shorter. That's why you see guys like strain their calf in the NFL. They come back in a couple of weeks. You know, and they're, they're loading doing... that calf for two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. They're doing they're stuff doing... the whole time. Yeah. Like if you have, I, I won't use maybe use muscle example again. Like if you have a hamstring strain, depending on what grade you have of it, even severe ones, you're loading your hamstring as quickly as you can even yeah. if it's isometrics or if it's something like that, like we want it activating that muscle. I, I hate using the word activating. Yeah. Using you, a using muscle. It. Yeah. Using a muscle creates blood flow to that muscle, which you need to help heal said muscle. Right. Any of you who have worked out before know what it feels like to be sore the day after a workout. That's because you micro torn your muscle. Yeah. It's not, and- I mean, that's one of the reasons why you're sore. Yeah, and on the same in the same vein, everyone that's probably worked out before has felt the pump, right? Like you, yeah. Arnold. That's my favorite line in um, uh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, uh, something Iron. Fuck oh, it. pumping iron. Yeah, pumping iron. Oh, yeah. Where it's like the pump, chase the oh, yeah. pump. Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> he also compares it he, to like sexual things. He, he does. He does. But in the pump is bringing blood flow to your muscles, right? Like that's good that's stuff, right? Which We've had the ice and heat debate on here before. It's one of the reasons that I'm like, you don't need to ice unless you really love it. Yeah, you're going to get more blood flow by pump, like using the muscle your, in whatever way you can. Yeah. 
And if there's swelling in a region, I actually want to get blood flow to get out. Yeah. I think it's a closed system, right? It's like, a, think of a, circu a circular pipe. Like if you push the water on one side, the water is going to go out the other side. Like that's the only way it moves. If you don't, you know. 100%. Yeah, it's, it seems like a simple thing, but those are kind of the biggest things. We do not recommend resting in any way, shape or form. It's going to take a couple of months for it to get better. And you can expect to have some pain in this process of rehabbing it, right? So now what are we doing from like a programming perspective? Like someone comes to you for rehab, like what are the things that we like to look at? For me off the bat, it's what are we doing with their loads? So like mm -hmm. their workout may not change, but I may modify how much they are doing. Yep. Um, like load, manage big... load management is number one for me. Yeah. The biggest thing I'm looking at is, um, yeah, how many, how many reps are they doing, right? If they're doing five sets of 10 reps, they're doing 50. So can they handle that? Does that make them go to a six out of 10 pain? Okay. Then we're going to go, we're going to try out 40 or, you know, right. playing with the, with that. Uh, my other thing is looking at his range of motion because sometimes people can do like an exercise through half the range of motion, but not through this one, one portion. So um, gradually working into more range of motion or, um, uh, or that sort of thing is usually, those are the two I usually start with. And then obviously if we're getting back to something explosive, like I would, I would even say golf, but definitely something like running basketball we're looking right. for that speed component, right. Of being able to a absorb force and then quickly rebound it, aggressively rebound it and, you know, change direction, jump sprint. Right. Well, and evil in those situations too, one of the things that I'll do is just do like really low level plyometrics. Shit, like sure. Just like side to side hopping. That looks like they're basically doing nothing and then progress that to a little wider or forward and backward in golf. What I tend to find specifically because we deal with so much of the elbow in golf. Yeah. I can't say that I've had many people that have had like maybe a couple of patellar tendinopathies, um, but that wasn't from golf per se. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the people that I've had that have had elbow issues going on, we just adjust their swing. Sure. I don't mean change how they swing. I mean, similar to what I had said earlier when I was dealing with mine last year, I take a 50% swing, like a nine to three swing, and that didn't bother my elbow, right? I also, for a little while, kept everything off of a tee. I wasn't, you know, getting my club in the ground as much. Or if I was, it was very soft. It wasn't something that was super heavy. So that all plays, plays a pretty substantial role. Um, so you can load those progressively over time but change how hard you're swinging you know maybe stay away from your driver for a little while because that's the club you're going to swing the hardest and will likely tend to grip the hardest you know right. sometimes i'll keep people out of bunkers for a little while just because that contact with the ground can be right. really jarring at the elbow um but putting tends to be fine depending on the person so we slowly adapt that over time yeah no that's it that's it's pretty simple, honestly. I mean, that's. It, uh oh, did I freeze? Did you freeze? I think we. Nope, we're un unfrozen. Frozen, uh, unfrozen. We're back. Jeez, we're back. We're back. Sorry, people. It's okay. We'll just yeah. leave that in there. It's a blooper. Who cares? It is a blooper. FBI is watching. Um, yeah, no, that's. I think. <laughs> I have. I have one other question for you. If people. If people want to stretch and they have a tendinopathy, what's your answer? They say, I love, I have this Achilles pain or I have this uh, wrist pain and I love to do this stretch. Yay, nay, what do you think? I look at it like this, or this is my response to people that like love the stretching aspect of it. If it feels good for you to do it, knock yourself out as long as it's being loaded as well. That's, I mean, that's where I go to. I ask him, does it hurt when you do it? I, I ask him, does it hurt when you do it? Or, or does it hurt after you do it? If they say yes, I'm like, no, probably avoid it. Yeah. But if, they, yeah. if they're like, no, it kind of feels good. It doesn't make anything worse. Like, all right, go ahead. Do it if you want. Because again, like can... you're just putting tension on the, on the tendon, right? You're not like 
you're not moving back and forth really fast or anything like that. You're just holding tension on it. That's going to give a signal to bring stuff down to, to help build a stronger tendon. Right. It's just not a, it's just not enough of a load for it to just be the only thing you do. Correct. Correct. Right. It's now the other that, thing. Yes. Yeah, it will be that plus something. Let's get the deep dive now into like the other things that people like to do with modalities. Most people mm. that have tendinopathies have people that like, they'll use like a stim, right? right? Which is just assist, you know, instruments that like yeah, rub scrape. on you that look like butter knives. Scraping is another Yeah, thing. you're scraping. You'll people, yeah, you're scraping the skin. Yeah. You'll see people do cupping at the elbow. Yeah. You'll see people get different massages. They'll do dry needling. They will put bio, they'll do all of those things, right? And if those give you some relief, that's terrific. But if you do not load the tendon and do all the things we right. just talked about, that shit is all pretty useless. Now, obviously, I don't want to say it's useless because if it gives you pain relief, that is helpful. But I don't want you to feel like you are reliant on a dry needling or on a cupping or on modalities that in all reality, from a scientific perspective, have a super high placebo effect. Most yeah, of not, which is a placebo effect. It's right? not healing and any tissue, not, right? You're not loading a tendon. Yeah. We just said the number one thing per all of our best research, you have to load that tendon in order for it to handle loads better. And hopefully over the next couple of months after that, get better. So all of these other things are just ancillary. They may help you in the interim feel better. And there's so much expectation effect that goes into that. Like people that are like, oh, I just like it hurts so good when you, you know, press on that spot. Okay, fair enough. Like if that makes it feel better, sure, knock yourself out. I still have to load it. Right. So as long as you load it, you can do all that other stuff. Uh, I mean, this is a personal thing for me. I think the more you press on something over and over and over, the more your brain hates it. Yeah, I, I always think of it like the, uh, I don't know, I was a psychology major in college. So the like rat studies where they have to push the button for the food and like sometimes it shocks yeah. them and sometimes it doesn't. I feel like you're just doing that, but you're like, every time you push it, you're increasing your probability that you're going to get shocked. Pretty much. You know what I mean? I it's mean, just like, it's the same thing we tell people about like foam rolling, like don't over foam roll. Yeah. Like if you push on something long enough, it's probably not going to feel great. Like it's sort of like you've been like you put your neck in like a kinked position, so to speak, and you get up and you're like, oh, my God, it felt good at first, but now it feels terrible. Right. Like if you prolong pressure to something, it doesn't necessarily help it. And so think of it like this. You're talking about a tendon that's very reactive. Yeah, very reactive. And so if you are desensitizing it and then you try doing it so much because people are like, oh, that felt good. More must be better. Like, oh, I felt so good to do that ace him. I should do it three times a day. Yeah. Hold your horses. Not. Hold yeah, your like horses. You're just going to piss it off even more. So right. if you guys can't tell, Tim and I are not huge proponents for a lot of those things. In small doses, if they help with your pain, sure. Mark yourself out. Totally. Which takes us to NSAIDs. <sighs> should I take Tylenol and ibuprofen and... The Advils, should I take all those things? Because those are anti-inflammatories. They are. And but what did we say about inflammation? Precisely. We have none. So. So what are you taking um, a bunch of stuff that's. Now, again, it's amazing how many people are like, hey, Advil helps me feel better. And I'm probably bursting so many people's bubbles right now. Like we're the worst in the world being like, yeah, <laughs> Advil's not really doing anything. They're like, well, then why do I feel good when I take it? Well, because we live in a world full of placebos. Not a bad thing, but I'd rather if you didn't take Advil for, you know, a week, four times a day. Yeah, especially when you think of like the ramifications, right? Like taking ibuprofen a lot is not great for your for your stomach and like your gut. Too much Tylenol and yeah, right. Too much Tylenol is not great for your liver. Like you want to make sure it's kind of like x-rays. You don't want to get too many x-rays in your life. You don't want to take too much of this stuff you know, in your life, you want to take it when you need it. When you have a splitting headache, go ahead and take it. When you're, you just ran five miles and your Achilles hurts, or you just walked 18 holes and you know, the, uh, the front of your knee hurts or, or your wrist hurts. I mean, that's, that's part of it. You can do other stuff. That's not going to be harsh on your gut. That's not going to, you know, even just be a placebo. That's actually going to help. 
And part of this is also people like us changing expectations about what to do when you have pain. Yeah. Which you oh, yes. and I have talked about before. Like it's just, you know, Tylenol shouldn't be the first come, first serve option no. when those things happen. No. And it's no one's fault, right? It's no like uh like my dad if my dad comes down with elbow tendonitis, he's a um he's an accountant. Like it's not his fault for not knowing what to do with it. But yeah. for people like us, like we we've gotta be up on this stuff and know how to help people with it and guide them in the right direction. Well, and the people listening to this podcast need to also be the disseminators of good information. Totally. You know, yeah, hopefully no more listening to this, like, please spread the word because everything that we're saying to the best of our knowledge today, in 15 years, maybe that'll change. But based on what we know today, rest is not helping you. It's going to hurt. You have to gradually load it over time. And all of those other ancillary things like the A-stims and the needles and the massages that feel like someone's putting their finger into your bone. Not particularly very helpful because, again, you're not doing anything beyond that. If you can do it in doses, yeah. that's great. But otherwise, let it be. That's it. And throw out your goddamn elbow wrap. The stupid <laughs> fucking padded gel thing that you put you put around your forearm. Throw it out and do like go do something that's really going to help your tendon. Cause that's, that's just like, uh, you know, a, a bandaid. You're basically just going to potentially get tendonitis or tendinopathy further down or at a different spot in your tendon. Like it's just masking the situation. You're putting lipstick on a pig. So throw out your goddamn elbow wrap. I will not, I will not disagree with that. The only times that I'll have people use those is if they go to the range or they have a, a, Totally. event that weekend and they have to compete yep like hey if it, tell... gives you enough, if it gives you enough relief to go play this weekend because it's like a tournament or something important go yes. ahead but we're going to take it off after that this is just a it's a simple band-aid it's not a hammock for you to go lay in like it's a safety right. net <laughs> right right no that's what i tell people too or like if you know that the on the back nine it's going to start bugging you and then you're going to pay for it for a couple days throw it on for the back nine whatever you know that's fine. For sure. But that is not, do not use that as your crutch. No, do not, do not crutch not around idea. with that in any way, shape or form. It shouldn't just be, again, that's no different than going in and having someone massage it every day. Yeah. Right. It's just a crutch. You're not doing anything to actually help the tendon get better. Now, if wearing a brace helps you load the tendon. Yeah. I can see can how the argument, it. you know, if it, yeah. if it decreases your pain to the point where it's like, Oh, I can actually play golf and do all these things. Okay, but then are we weaning off of those things as time goes on? Right. 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 We never want to be reliant on some kind of modality or brace or whatever it ends up being, unless we absolutely have to, which is very rare. Very rare. Yeah. No, very rare. Very rare. And so, one last, I guess one last point. I think, I don't know how many last points we've had, but just having a lot. <laughs> we just keep rolling with it. It's our show, right? We can do. Yeah. I don't know if you are. I don't know if you watch Barstool at all or follow of Barstool course. at all. So I'm a big part of my take guy. I love Big Cat, and uh, he's had I think four game of the years this year uh, when he puts out his picks for bets. He's like this is the <laughs> game. This is the game of the year. And then someone called him on. He's like, "Well, that was my January game of the year. This is my February game of the year." Like, you get it's your show. You can do whatever you want. Um, this is true. I like that idea. But yeah, just as a last point too, don't be scared of having tendon pain, right? It, it yes. does not increase your chances of like tearing your tendon or anything like that in the future. Because it, that was something I heard a lot, not particularly from golfers, because usually, again, they're talking elbows, but uh, right. a lot of the runners I've dealt with in the past that have had like Achilles, um, Achilles pain, that's always, their, they're like, am I going to tear my, is my thing, am I just going to be like 20 miles from my house and my Achilles is going to tear? Uh, maybe, but that could happen any day. Yeah, that's to, who knows. We should have seen that coming a long way down the road. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, like most 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 Achilles getting torn is not from people who are loading them appropriately. Correct. Correct. I usually I've usually seen them in people that are like they fell off a ladder, or yeah. they did something completely like they haven't played tennis in a year and went out and played a full match. Right. And or and have. End of the season, same thing, going like going to exhausted. Just, yeah. yeah, 
just doing something crazy. You overloaded tissues that couldn't handle it, be it because of fatigue or because you hadn't loaded them. Right. One way, one way or another. One small side piece. If you have those things, don't go get imaging. Yeah. Don't get x-rays. Don't get MRIs. Like I can't tell you how many people are like, I got to go get this looked at because I probably tore something. You probably didn't. And even if you did, it's not going to change anything about what we're doing. Right. Like unless you had like an injury, like someone drove over you in their golf cart and like destroyed you. Okay. You know, maybe then I could (laughs) see, I could could, like see your argument for getting some imaging done. Most of the time we do not recommend imaging. Generally speaking, certainly not with tendinopathies. Like it's just not, it's not, it's not necessary to call it a tendinopathy. Just as, as an, as an aside. Yeah. So if you have one, have fun, load it, have a cocktail, keep playing golf as long as it's not killing you. Or just reach out to Tim and I and we'll make sure that you do the right thing. That's it. It's always helpful to have someone that's helping you with that. Because I've got a girl right now who's got some tendonitis and she'll just like do stuff. I give her a general frame. She does it and then she reports back to me what's like, all right, that did, you know, last week's stuff did this it made things a little bit worse okay cool we'll adjust that's always it's always good to have someone to bounce it off of absolutely absolutely that's what we're here for so i think that's probably a good place to end i like it i think so too as always follow us on the socials jackson.golfstrong and tim.golfstrong subscribe click the bells notifications all that stuff let all your friends know about this lovely little podcast that we have uh we like talking about all these fun things and you guys need anything you know how to find us uh tim weekend plans uh going to a diner in newton cabot's diner gonna get some i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna get for food because they have breakfast all day and like awesome dinners but i'm definitely getting a gigantic ice cream sundae check my instagram for that i'll probably post it. it's gonna be over the top Epic. how about you uh golf yeah. Beer. yeah actually you know what you don't have to answer that that's cool we golf. can just send it right here Beach, beer, whiskey bar. Uh, what else do I need? To, what should I do? I need to hit anything else? I think that like, covers. It sounds covers like you're over. But but Cabot's like Diner, Cabot's Diner sounds pretty good. It sounds like you're over scheduling over there. I think you gotta you gotta open up your schedule a little bit. You got too much going on. Schedule's wide open. <laughs> that's why that's why that's why it works. That's why it works so well. I could mess around and find somewhere that's got like a massive cinnamon roll though. Oh, that'd be a good. Yeah, that's be a good always plan. like a cast iron cinnamon roll. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is a health podcast. Sometimes. Sometimes. You got to have those days. Oh, gosh. I could live on cinnamon rolls. They're terrific. I say that right now as I'm about to go work out here in an hour and die. So. Yeah, you earned that. it. I'm going to earn my cinnamon roll. Let's go. That's it. All right, people. We will holler at y'all later. That's it. Peace.